Jesus, we humbly approach you this morning, Lord, and that is the cry of the believer's soul. Lord, we love you, Lord, and we so love your appearing. We love your presence, Lord. We love everything that you do. Lord, we're so sick and tired, Lord, of this world and all the charms and delights it has to offer. Lord, we love you and we want you more than anything. Lord, we would feel like Sambo this morning, Lord, if we, we get to the other side. Just let us look at you for a thousand years. Lord, don't talk to me about rewards and things, but just let me look on the one who died for me. Lord Jesus, you are everything to us, Lord. Lord, as the scripture says that you would be our all in all, Lord, that is what you are and what you have become through the molding of our character, Lord, and the trying of our faith. You have become our all in all, Lord, and we will love you all the more for it. For, Father, we can't get enough of you. We've had our fair share of much else, but of you, Lord, we can't get enough. Father, we ask you just come again this morning, Lord. Take us out of the way, Lord. May we have communion with you, Lord, that your spirit will come and speak freely to us, Lord, and we would freely receive, that we'd come prayerfully. We've come expecting to hear from the throne. Lord, as we're gathered around, we're not just any people, Lord, but we believe by divine revelation we are the bride of Jesus Christ. Lord, we have a place by overcoming this world, Lord. We have a place in your throne. So we ask this morning that you come and commune with us, Lord, and talk with us as a husband would his wife. And speak to us, Lord, your secrets, Lord, as we just desire to look into your word. Jesus, we need you, and we ask these mercies in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, musicians. God bless you. Thank you, Brother Ray. Amen. Mr. Angie, God bless you. I appreciated that special. Our God is bigger. He's greater. He's stronger. He's better than the enemy. He's better than the devil. He's better than all the charms of this world. He's greater than the greatest this world has to offer. He's bigger. Hallelujah. He's so big that in the New Jerusalem, the sun won't need to shine. Because right. he'll be the light thereof. Amen. Tell me something bigger than that. What an awesome God. Amen. Amen. I just want to say as you're turning in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 4 and verse 1. Uh, the Sunday school teachers have put forward, so thank you, thank the Lord for a wonderful year-end Sunday school field trip yesterday. I would say it was wonderful. My boys really enjoyed it, and, but also today, this is the last day of Sunday school, and we're going to take a break for summer, 
and we'll start up again in September. Amen. So this today was the last Sunday school day until September. We have short summers here. And we need to enjoy them while we can. Amen. Exodus chapter 4. Verse 1, I want to continue on this morning from last Sunday night, maybe take a bit of a different direction, but we'll use the same title of Superior Tactics, part 2. And Moses answered and said, we know where he's at, he's at the burning bush, and he's there and the Lord speaking to him, and Moses answered and said, but behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say... The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is in thine hand? And he said, A rod. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to the word. You may have your seats. Amen. I want to just start out this way tonight, this morning, and I trust it be a blessing to you and would help you in your daily walk and as I was looking over the scripture, God asked him, God didn't go and begin to take him back to school. He just asked Moses, what do you already got? What's in your hand? What do you have in your hand? And as he began to ask him this, you know, Moses, we would know how Brother Branham would begin to dramatize the story of Moses, how that when he got the commission, he'd begin to go down and perhaps someone would stop and say, Moses, where are you going? And he'd say, I'm going to take over. I'm going to go conquer Egypt. I'm going to go take over. And then the greatest country in the world at the time, the greatest military, the greatest minds, the greatest education, the greatest things that that people had to offer, that the world at the time had to offer, was there in Egypt. But here comes a man with nothing but what he had in his hand. Just a rod, just a stick, really. And he says, just take that. What's in your hand? God didn't endow him with some great thing or some great blessing, but he just said, what do you got in your hand? Just what do you have? And I'll say this, Brother Branham says, in God who is rich as mercy, he said, if a man comes out with an odd, peculiar ministry that's found in the Bible to be the truth, that definitely describes Moses. An odd, peculiar ministry that somebody could look at the, the greatest minds of the world, even the worst minds of the world, like and go, that's strange. That guy's going down to a great army with nothing but a stick, and he's going to take over. He's going to just deliver the people, and it's just going to be a great time. And how in the world is this ever going to happen? Of course, for us, we read it and we lose some of the value because we know the end of the story. And we read the end of the story, so to us, we let go, of course, he's going to take over because we know exactly what happened. But if you're stuck in the time frame of Moses and you begin to look at the unfoldings and what's happening, and perhaps you heard what had happened to Moses, how he'd fled Egypt, scared, and now all of a sudden, perhaps you'd look at it and say, this guy is crazy. He's got some kind of weird vengeance on his mind because here he got he left Egypt running for his life, scared of Pharaoh, and now he's going back there with a stick telling us he's going to take over. He's lost his mind. It's an odd and peculiar ministry, he says, and the man that, that, that stays right with the same old denominational doctrine, he said, forget it, there's nothing to it. Moses had started himself a denomination. He left. The denomination was, get out of Egypt. But do it his own way. 
Go and be a shepherd in Midian. Go and be this. Anything's better than getting out of Egypt. And sure, anything's better than getting out of Egypt. But we find that he'd made himself that way. But when God came down, he couldn't stay with the same old ideology of I'm just going to run and hide. And I'm just going to be hidden away in my little shepherd and my little family and my little thing. God said there's something bigger. There's something greater than what you're currently doing, Moses, because I've called you to something better, and it's odd and it's peculiar because the tactics of God are often that way. Amen. The tactics of God don't go with the common thinking of the world. They don't go with, with, with what's been tried and true in this day and age that we look at and we see, well, we got so many years of, of science has proven and proven and proven. God could come out in a moment and disprove all of it in just a moment by faith. Because that's the kind of God that he is. He said, God don't move in someone like that that just wants to stay with the same old, same old. Never move out of it. He said, pretty soon, he said, that's rotten manna that's got termites in it or wiggle tails or whatever you want to call it, he would say. He says, it's got that of 40, 50 years ago. Oh my, you even got that in the message, don't you? We just listened to tapes. Amen. That's all we got. We just take for a day. You know what? You are feeding on the word for the day. But you know what? It's from 40, 50 years ago. It took a five-fold ministry to bring it down. And Brother Brown would say the young man that would take it right to the end of the world. It takes that to bring it out. Why? Because the message has to keep moving on and keep moving on. It's not good enough to just sit there and say, well, listen, I'm just going to listen to this and listen to this without any understanding because there has to be a gift. They could, the chosen individual could have listened to it and listened to it over and over. We got to leave Egypt. We got to leave Egypt. We got to leave Egypt. It was old. 400 years earlier or more, God had spoke more than that. He spoke to Abraham, said, I will deliver them. They'll sojourn in a strange land for 400 years and I'll deliver them with a mighty hand. But let me ask you, which one of the two million did God speak to? And tell him that. God spoke to Abraham which was about actually 500 years before Moses. But of all the two million that are there in the time of Moses, God didn't come to any one of them and say, I'm going to deliver you with a mighty hand. But God came down to Moses. God sent a gift in Moses to make what he spoke to Abraham live again. Because the message has to keep going on and keep going on. And the progression of revelation, if you look even from 47 to 65, the progression of revelation that Brother Branham had and how it got deeper and deeper in the Word and he began to understand things that before he didn't understand. And he, perhaps he'd say something that he didn't quite understand fully, but all of a sudden it would come out. And he'd realize, oh, God showed me, especially after the seals where he speaks something about like serpent seed. And he'd say, come challenge me now. Why? Because God showed him exactly what he preached was the truth. And more than that. Amen. And the message keeps going on. It keeps unfolding. It keeps getting greater. We're not leaving the tapes and leaving the books and leaving the messages. But in all of it, it begins to open. Greater and greater. Because for 1,900 years, really, almost 2,000 people looked at the Bible and they couldn't put it together. So you had a man even like Charles Spurgeon in the age and the man anointing that would come and say, I won't preach on revelations. Why? Because this is going to take a prophet. Someone as brilliant as Charles Spurgeon was, he was brilliant enough to realize that's not for me. I'm not that man. Hey man, I'm not the one to put it all together. But there came a man. 
There came a prophet that was able to take all those loose ends down through the ages and begin to tie it all together and to put it in such a way that would bring a bride to perfection so she could be raptured. Amen. It didn't do discount anything from the previous ages. There was a bride in each age. But none of them received a rapture. But there's coming a bride, and she's here now, I believe, that's, that's coming to such a perfection to where God can't leave her in a mortal flesh any longer. Hallelujah. He says, we got to be careful that we're still not trying to eat on the old manna that fell way back years ago when the children of Israel on their journey. New manna fell every night. They couldn't keep it over. We don't live on some other age gone by. We're eating on new manna, fresh manna out of heaven in our journey as we go in. Amen. I believe that you need to be feeding on the message, but you need to be under a ministry. You need to be sitting in church. I realize I'm sitting here in a church preaching to people that are in church. But we need to be doing these things, and we need to be careful we don't become an island unto ourselves to say, well, I can move on on my own, and I'll be okay this way. You know what? God can use it in that way if you're where no church is. Be under a ministry. Have a pastor. Have somebody that you can look to and say, I know God's leading that man. Moses was the elected deliverer, and when God finally had his elected subject, a prisoner to him. Amen. God wasn't just, it wasn't just happy enough that Moses was elected a deliverer. God had to bring that deliverer subject to him. Moses had to become a prisoner to God. And the message is from the message of a prisoner. And he says, oh, hallelujah, how he could, he could only move as the word told him, as the word of God moved him. Oh, my. Moses would say, who shall I say sent me? The answer didn't come back. Well, tell them that the God knows. He said, tell them I am. The I am sent you. He says, how will I do it? He says, I'll be with you. Yes, Lord, just as you say, here I am. He says, oh, my. He's a prisoner. He goes against his better thinking. <laughs> Let me say that again. He goes against his better thinking. The best thinking that Moses had, he had to go against that. He says, listen, how he'd, trained, how he'd been trained to command an army, swords up and about face, and trained to go chariots all in order, spears forward, charge, and he knew all these things. He'd been trained exactly how to do it. That's how he was going to take over with his training, but he said, what am I going to use? He said, what's in your hand? Oh, I love it. He didn't say, what's in your mind? He didn't look at him and say, what's your best thought, Moses? What do you think, Moses? No, he said, what's in your hand? I've already given you the tools, but what's in your hand? What are you going to use to take over, Moses? It's not going to be your ideology. I've given you something to use that will be beyond the natural. I'll use the natural and use it supernaturally. He says, listen, he was a prisoner. He only moves when the word moves. I only speak when the word speaks. That's a prisoner. What is a prisoner in a jail cell? A prisoner in a jail cell doesn't have the opportunity to move about by their own free will. When the prison guard says, come out, he comes out. When the prison guard says, it's lunchtime, it's lunchtime. When the prison guard says, you go out and, and go out in the, the fresh air, he can go out in the fresh air. When the prison guard said, time to go back in your cell, it's time to go back in your cell. There is no free will in there. 
But when you become a prisoner to Jesus Christ, it's not a prisoner of do's and don'ts. It's a prisoner of love. That because you love him and you know he knows what's best for you. It's not a rehabilitation program. It's a redemption program. Amen. That God is able to redeem us back to what we were always meant to be. And that we know what he says do is the right thing to do. Amen. He said, where are you going, Moses? I got one commission. Just stand before Pharaoh. Show him this stick. (laughs) Hallelujah. Just go before Pharaoh and show him the stick. That's all God told me to do. I don't know what else to do. God didn't tell me about turning water into blood. He didn't tell me about sending fleas. He didn't tell me about boils. He didn't tell me about darkness. He didn't tell me about frogs. He didn't tell me about the firstborn being killed. He didn't tell me any of those things. He just said, go show him the stick. All right, I'll go show him the stick. That's all that he had. There you are. See, you've only got one thing to do. That's right. Surrender. That's the tactics of God. The tactics of man says surrendering is the wrong thing to do. You're giving up. But God says surrendering is the right thing to do. Surrender to him and he'll take care of your enemy. You become a prisoner. What's in your hand? Fathers, it's Father's Day today. God bless you. What's in your hand, fathers? In other words, the question is this. What do you use to make your way through life? Is it your job? I just work. Say it this way. Is it your belt? I'm the law. My children do what I say. Is it a toy? I'm the fun dad. Everybody loves me. I live my life by just to have fun and whoopee. Is it money? What's in your hand? I'll just buy my way through life. I'll buy my children off. I'll buy my grandchildren. I'll buy my wife. Or is it the word? In other words, what's your absolute? What do you live your life by? It's what you use. It's what you use in life situation that no matter what, it is the foundational principle you'll always come back to. What is your foundational principle that you'll come back when the chips are down, so to speak, and everything's up against the wall? What's the first reaction? How much is this going to cost me? (laughs) That's what's in your hand then. When everything else is down and you just don't know what to do and your children are all over the place and you're saying, I'm just going to escape back to work. That's what's in your hand. I'm going to go back over here. That's what you have to offer God. I've got to run away and hide like Moses. I've just got to run away. That's what Moses had in his hand. He had in his hand a rod. He had a stick. What was the stick for? He was a shepherd. The rod was used to correct the sheep. It was used to guide the sheep. It was used to bring them where the shepherd needed them to go. It was used to herd the sheep. That's the point of the rod. But God would ask him, what's in your hand? Of course, it's just a stick. But, oh, brothers and sisters, we always pray, God, use me. 
We want that. God, I want you to use me. I want to be ready. But let me start with this. Examine what's in your hand. Is God able to use what's in your hand? Because he's not going to come down when it's time to use you and give you a whole new thing because he's molding you and shaping you for that time. He's trying to get you ready for the time that he can use you. And if we're not willing to stop and listen to the correction of the Father. Hallelujah. What son is he whom the Father does not chastise? What is our absolute? What is your sure foundation? What is your absolute? Is it right? Examine that and say, Lord, what is my foundational principle that I always go back to? Is it the word of God? The only way it can be the word is if you know what the word is. You've got to be feeding on it. You've got to be in it. You've got to be listening to the tapes. You've got to be sitting in church, listening to the minister, not doodling in your notebook. You've got to be doing what's right. You've got to be living righteously. Turn with me to Psalms chapter 23. Most children, being the last day of Sunday school, the Sunday school children could probably recite most of this by heart. Psalms chapter 23 says this. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall want a lot of other things. No, it says, I shall not want. That's a lot right there. The Lord is my shepherd, and I am his sheep. I am his prisoner where he leads me because he leads me. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. In other words, he does what's best for me. That's what's best for the sheep. He takes them to green pastures. Our shepherd doesn't take, it out, take us out to an old dry desert sometimes. Say, come on, eat. I can't eat sand. No, he leadeth me by green pastures. He doesn't take us to the waterfall and says, get in and drink something. The sheep's scared. No, he takes them by still waters. He knows what sheep need. But the sheep has to be willing to follow. The sheep has to listen to the correction. Say, why do these things come upon me? Why is this so hard sometimes? Because there's a, there's a parable that Jesus would tell of the shepherd that sometimes he has to take the sheep and break its leg. And what's going on? Why would he do that? We'd look at that today at animal rights and go, oh, boy, 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 boy. Shame on that shepherd. But what was he teaching him? Divine love. Showing him that you need to trust in me, that I'm able to do this and I'm able to nurse you back to health. You need to trust in what I'm doing for you. You need to be able to lick on that rock and if you won't lick on it raw, I'll put some honey on it so you'll be able to enjoy it. Hallelujah. Because he knows what we need. He says, he restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths as I desire to go. No, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Hallelujah. He doesn't lead us in paths of righteousness so we can get glory. No, for his name's sake, so he can receive the glory, so he can get something back out of your life. Shepherd, shepherds don't shepherd sheep so people can compliment their sheep. You ever been out to a sheep farm? I have, actually. I went out to Brother Andrew's when he had sheep. Andrew Otiano, are you here this morning, buddy? He's over there. There he is. God bless you, buddy. 
I'm going to be honest with you, when you get out there, you don't look at it and go, hey, that's a nice looking sheep. It's a sheep, man. It's got wool. Sometimes it done laid in its own dung and it's stuck to its wool. It ain't the prettiest sight. And most shepherds are out there and they paint them so they know which sheep is which sheep. So they put a little number on the side or they put a little something there so they know which is which. Or, you know, they do certain things. And you're not very impressed with a sheep when a sheep gets down there in the food and you got a bucket full of food and you turn around and the thing's got the bucket on its head. And it can't figure out where to get the food at. But that's a sheep. Nobody walks into a sheep farm and says, man, those are great sheep. But when the sheep are all in order, when the sheep are where they're supposed to be, and when they're eating and they're supposed to be, they look at the shepherd and say, that's a good shepherd. And the shepherd has the sheep because he's looking for something out of the sheep. He wants the wool so that he could receive the glory, so he could get something out of it, so he could be given. And the sheep doesn't, doesn't fight and fuss about the wool. He, he lays down his rights and gives it up to the shepherd so the shepherd could have it, so that way he, he, the shepherd receives the glory. Now forgive me, this is my own personal opinion, but the only thing uglier than a sheep with wool is a sheep without wool. It's not the prettiest sight you've ever seen. But it's a godly sight. Because it gave up its rights. So, Brother Andrew, it's, it's, it's not very pretty when I come down to the altar and I cry and I weep and I lay everything down and I, I'm just a broken mess. But it's a godly sight. But God looks down on that and says, that's someone that gave up everything that was willing to lay down their rights, that was willing to surrender to me. Hey, man, I'm sure Moses wasn't the prettiest sight as he's there before the burning bush, no shoes on, trembling and shaking before God, I'm sure tears strolling down his cheeks. Lord, who am I? I got a stammer. I can't even speak. What do you think I am? And I'm sure even people down at the base of the hill may be looking up, and there's this bush burning, and there's this guy kneeling before it. And they're going, what is wrong with him? But that was God speaking. In the next verse, it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Oh, what a bright valley. It is, because it's got a shadow there. So Brother Branham says about it. We always want to take that and, oh, I'm just walking through the valley of the shadow of dark, dark shadow of death. Oh, it's the valley of the shadow. Brother Branham says, in order to have a shadow, you have to have light. It doesn't say the dark valley. It says it's the valley of the shadow of death. He says, but I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they hurt me quite often. No, it says they comfort me. Hallelujah. That's a real sheep. Thy rod and thy staff. He says this, what is that? He says the correction of the Lord, they comfort me. They let me know that God is with me. Oh, hallelujah. When God corrects me, it tells me one thing. He's with me. I haven't got off on my own because he's close enough that I can feel his rod. He can just reach out and he's right there. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me because I know that he's with me. Oh, praise be to God. He says, maybe he's trying to correct you this morning. He says tonight, but we're this morning. This morning, he says, why don't you let the rod and staff comfort you? The rod is the hard preaching gospel. Oh, boy. 
But it's a comfort to let you know that God speaks to me. When that type of gospel is being preached to correct me, he loved me. He wants me to come walk with him now. He says, well, he will walk with me in that hour. What a time to walk with God. That's what he wants to do this morning as there's things maybe this morning, and I haven't designed it to be hard. But if it is hard, God is wanting to walk with you. He's wanting to correct you. He's wanting to come to you. It's not just this morning, tonight when Brother John would speak, Wednesday Brother Ed would speak, whoever is speaking, God's desiring to come down and walk with you in a service. He wants to be with you, not just be left here in the pew where you're at, but go out with you and walk with you where you are. Be with you at work. Be with you on the job. Be with you at home, mothers and housewives, as you're washing the dishes, as you're looking after the children. God wants to be with you. We give Brother Branham so many props for the time he went and put on an apron. I'm sure it was more than once. To help Sister Mita out because she needed some calming down. And I think that's wonderful that he did that. But I want to tell you this morning, sisters, Jesus wants to put on an apron. Jesus wants to come down and wash dishes with you. Jesus wants to help you out in that way. He wants to come down and change the attitude, change the atmosphere in the home. Jesus wants to be welcome in your home. He wants to be welcome around your table. He wants to come and walk with you. Amen. It's not, I'm just a housewife. God called you to be a housewife. God called you to that point. So be the best one that you can be. Hallelujah. That is a God-called, God-ordained position in the home and in the church to be a housewife. Hallelujah. That women would be the keepers at home. Oh, my. He's wonderful, isn't he? Don't you love the Lord? Don't you love the Word? He's phenomenal. He's bigger. He's better. He's greater. He's stronger than anything the devil has to offer and any of the attractions of the world. He's better than any career. He's better than any job. He's better than any amount of money. He's better than a big home. He's better than a nice car. He's God. He's the I am. Who will I say sent me? Who will I say told me to do these things? Tell him the I am said. But this is my place when all the other mothers at school are making fun of you because they got this and they got that. And you're just a housewife. You look at them and say, the I am told me. <laughs> Hallelujah. What do you got in your hand? I just got a dish rag. The I am sent me to overcome my children and to take them in and call them my own and say that I'm raising them for the glory of God. The I am sent me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of my best friends. No, that's not the tactics of God at all. He doesn't look at it and say, well, let's just make it easy on you. Let's just have a wonderful time. No, this 70 years plus grace is for your trying. It's for the molding of your character. Where does he prepare a table before, you, before me in the presence of my enemies? Oh, I love the Lord. Oh, I love him. He causes you to eat. He causes you. He prepares a table. In other words, he prepares a feast for you. He wants you to eat of his word. He wants you to do it, not just hide it in your closet, but right in the presence of your enemies. He says, go ahead. I'm going to give you a blessing. Right in the middle of those that want your destruction. Hallelujah. And he says, my head, he anointeth my head with oil. And my cup... Run it over. 
He anointeth my head with oil. He causes his Holy Spirit to come down. Where? In the presence of mine enemies. He causes me to create an atmosphere where? In the presence of mine enemies. That there be an atmosphere around about me that ain't me. It's God because it's not just my, my oil upon my head, but my cup runs over. It begins to affect those that are around about me. It begins to affect my coworkers, my, my fellow students. It begins to affect my family, my friends, the other ones in the young people that maybe aren't doing so good, but there's somebody else in there that says, my cup's running over. You can drink from my saucer if you like. If you ain't got nothing in your cup, you just come on over. Praise be to God. Why? Because I've been eating from the table that he prepared for me in the presence of my enemies. Right in the worst of times, right in the hardships, right in the trials, he makes me a feast. Oh, that's my God. He says in the last verse, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Oh, praise be to God. Therefore, it says in the next line, I shall go wherever I feel like it. But I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Oh, you say, well, then, Brother Andrew, we should all just get a kitchen in here, and we should all just stay in this just church because this is the house of the Lord. No, this is the house of the Lord. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm not going to dwell on my own thoughts. I'm not going to dwell on the circumstances outside. I'm going to dwell on what God has put on the inside of the inside and that he's anointed me in my soul and he's given me his spirit and I'll dwell on that and I'll dwell in there forever. Oh Lord. Hallelujah. Micah 7 verse 14. It says this, it says, feed thy people with thy rod. Oh, hallelujah. Feed thy people with thy rod. We had a prophet come and say, what's that rod? That's the hard preaching of the gospel. That's when that comes across and begins to correct you. What is that table he's prepared for you when you begin to pick up the word? And it begins to correct you and it begins to make you right. And your enemies begin to seek your destruction. And you begin to look at it and say, but God said. I can't do what you're doing because the word of God said. I can't eat what you're eating because I'm eating on this. I can't eat on that dead carrion. I can't eat on the dead yesterday stuff. I can't eat on what the denominations are eating on. I got fresh manna that's coming up over and over again. Feed thy people with thy rod. The flock of thine heritage shall which dwell solitarily in the wood. Oh my, in the midst of Carmel, let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. Oh my, what was those days when they came and they were sincere and God came down and dwelt amongst them. Let them dwell in that. In verse 15, according to the days of the coming out of the land of Egypt, will I show unto him marvelous things. Oh, what a promise. As in the days of the coming out of Egypt, we've been over that. Brother Ed was preaching on it. Brother Moses was preaching on it. What? As in the days of the coming out of Egypt, there was marvelous things. He says, I'm the same God. I will show you those things again. And he says in verse 60, And the nations shall see and be confounded at their might. They shall lay their hands upon their mouth, and their ears shall be deaf. And they shall lick the dust of us as like a serpent, and they shall move out of their holes like worms of the earth. And they shall be afraid of the Lord. 
our God and shall fear because of thee. Hallelujah. Why don't they fear the Lord? They don't know him. But because they know you. But because they see a God that's able to change your life and turn it around and make it something beautiful out of something that wasn't beautiful at all. But God's able to do that. He'll fear, fear the Lord because of your testimony. It says, who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity? Oh my. Who's like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity? You know, he's the only God I know that's more than able and more than willing to pardon someone that did something wrong when they knew they shouldn't have done it. There's a lot of gods that says, well, you didn't know any better, so I'll forgive you this time. There's a lot of people, too, who say, well, I'll forgive you this time because you didn't know any better. But what about the fact they knew better? Our God is so great. He says, you knew better. I told you not to do that. But you made a mistake and you fell. And you know what? Because you came and you repented. I'm going to pardon you anyways. And passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever. Because he delighteth. But God, who is rich in mercy, he delighteth in mercy. He doesn't, he doesn't do it out of spite. Oh, i got to have mercy again. Man, why did I say that? Now i got to have mercy again on them. No, he delighteth in it. He loves to show mercy. He loves to show grace. He loves to be loving to you in order to come. He loves a broken and a contrite spirit. It says he will in no wise cast out. He loves it when you come in that way and say, God, I'm so sorry. I knew better. Why did I do it again? He loves that. He says, he will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Glory be to God. He will cast all of your sins into the depths of the sea. What an awesome God. He's bigger. He's better. That's the tactics of my God. He's not looking for somebody that can walk just perfect in their flesh. He's looking for someone that will come and say, Lord... I'm yours. Forgive me where I fail you. He loved that man that came to him and said, Lord, help thou my unbelief. Help me, Lord, where I can't believe enough. Help me where I don't have enough faith. I'm trying. In the Garden of Eden, Satan chose his part of the man. He chose his head, his intellectuals. God took his heart. The intellectuals will reason. He says, well, why am I this way? Why am I that way? But he'll never. I love that statement. The intellectuals will reason. Why am I this way? Why am I that way? How many of us raise up? You don't have to raise your hands. We raise up and we go up and we, we, we mature in life as young people. As we get into marriage and we get in, as new stages of life come along, we begin to find ourselves asking this question. Why am I this way? Why am I that way? Why do I do this this way? I lost a friend because I just couldn't stop. Or I, I, I said something wrong and I just couldn't. And I said this over here. Why? And that person's upsetting me. Why am I this way? God made me thus for a purpose. Let him mold you. 
Let him shape you. Let him take you that way. He says, you'll never get anywhere. You'll never get anywhere with God there. But your heart, your faith, will make you believe things that your mind knows nothing about. Hallelujah. He says, you cast down reasonings. See, you begin to cast that down. You begin to look at the word of God. What, why did I say that? But I said the word. Why, why, did I, why did I come across so sharply like that? Why am I made this way? But Lord, I, I, it was the word that I was saying. I meant it for good. Cast down the reasoning. Because the devil loves to play on your mind. He chose that intellectual part where he loves to take something that came from the heart and it had to come from there into a thought to become a word, which is a thought expressed in order to be spoken out. And he loves to take those words and throw them back at you and say, why'd you do that? You just hurt that person. You probably didn't because you spoke the word. Remember I spoke last Sunday night. We like to walk around on eggshells because the word of God says, you know, lest you offend the least of these my little ones. It'd be better that a millstone be hanged around your neck and you'd cast into the depths of the sea. And because of that scripture, we like to walk around on eggshells. Listen, if they're offended by the word, they're not the least of his little ones. Because his little ones are corrected by his rod and his staff, which is the correction of the word of God. If they're offended at the word, something's wrong in here. Now, let me turn around the other way just to be sure. If it's your opinion that offends them, I suggest you go repent. And it's the same for me. If it's my opinion that offends you, I am sorry. I don't mean to offend you with my opinion. All right. I didn't mean to go back to last Sunday night. It says, you cast down reasonings. Your heart will make you believe things that your mind knows nothing about. It did it for Moses. His mind knew about armies. His mind knew about tactics of the world. His mind knew about education. His mind knew about intellects and the best way to build things, do things, create a civilization, create an army. His mind knew all of those things. His mind perhaps even knew how to put out a campaign and how to call soldiers and how to build an army and how to create these things. The Romans were really, really good at it, and we find different civilizations. That's the best tactics of the world that they have to do all these things. That's what his mind knew, but his heart made him do something his mind knew nothing about when he got down there to Pharaoh and said, here's my stick. I got a stick. Pharaoh was like, so? We get that, we get that all the time, don't we? Why don't you do that? Because the word of God says to abstain from strong drink. So? I'm a Christian too and I drink. We get that kind of response all the time. So what? Well, why don't you wear pants? Because the Word of God says for a woman not to wear clothes pertaining to a man. Yeah, these are women's pants. So? These aren't physically women's pants. <laughs> but you get that kind of response. So what? I don't wear clothes pertaining to a man. I, I, I wear women's clothes. I buy them in the women's sections at a superstore or Walmart or online or whatever. I don't want to, but there's something on the inside. 
that your mind maybe even doesn't fully understand. And you go, but no, this is right. This is true. I believe that a woman ought to wear skirts, that she ought to wear this, that she ought to be modest, that she ought to be that. And a man says, well, why don't you grow out your hair and have nice long hair? Why don't you have a ponytail? Somebody's so proud of them. A man's so proud of the ponytail. A man comes and says, but the word of God says a man shouldn't do that. So? Then you get the other one. God hasn't struck me down with lightning. That's the tactics of the devil. He loves to sow thoughts in your mind to make you think it's not all that important. It's not that big of a deal. But there's something on the inside that goes beyond, that supersedes the mind. It says, but I know that it's real. I know in whom I have believed it. Well, why, why, why do you do these things? Because the I am sent me. Who's the I am? Well, just stick around. You'll understand. <laughs> See, it casts down reasonings. See, you must be positive. You could stay there in the presence of God until you are positive. Then when you're positive, there's nothing could turn you. Oh my. When you're positive, there's nothing can turn you. If Moses wasn't positive, he would have turned around long before he got to Pharaoh. There would have been plenty of people that would have turned him around. Even when he got down there to the children of Israel, because he went there first before Pharaoh, and he talked with them and said, the Lord's come to deliver you. And they kind of looked at him and went, man, you've been through this before. We talked about this before. You killed an Egyptian, man. Like, come on. He says, no, the I am sent me. How are you going to do it, Moses? This rod. They were expecting some great show, some great something. This rod. And he got down there into, into Egypt, and he got right into Pharaoh. And what did he do? He cast it down. And he's like, yeah, this will impress him. You ever get that way sometimes? We, we do that, especially as, as, as immature Christians, kind of like Moses was at that time. Where we get that way, where we think, oh, I'm going to impress them now. I'm going to tell you what the Catholic Church is in Revelation. Listen closely. I'm going to impress you with my wisdom. And we start spitting it all out there, and they're like, I can do that too. And they start shooting things back at you from Ezekiel, from here, from there, and you're going like, where are you getting that from? Said, well, I don't know what to say back. So Moses did. Here come the serpent. And Pharaoh goes, okay, Jonathan Jambres, come here. And they go, Moses is like, oh, didn't see that coming. What do you do? And go, oh, I thought I had something. No, he was positive. He was convinced. God showed me, here's a stick. What's in your hand? Just go use what's in your hand. God's trying to tell you this morning, what do you got? What do you live in your life by? What's that fundamental principle that you have? It's the word of God. Just live it by that. You're not going to win your children back by psychology and some other thing. Just take the word and live the life before them. Let God do the rest. And God did the rest for Moses. His serpent ate the other two. He picked it up by the tail. It's my stick again. And there's only one. And Janice and Jambers are sitting there going, hey, can I have my stick back? I couldn't give it back to you if I tried. Hallelujah. 
let God, let God watch. I've had it happen in my life where you say something and someone comes and says somebody something else and you go, I don't know what to say back. But let time go on. And God begins to prove your testimony real. And that one over there, he just begins to snap and lose it. And the boss is going, what happened to him? And you're like, I don't know. And that one over there loses it. And they quit. And they're not. And the boss is going, I don't know. I only got one stick. God just told me to live this life. I'm just living this life. It's all I got. It's just simple faith applied every day. It's all I got to do. I don't understand what's wrong with them and what's wrong with them. I don't know why they're upset that their testimony is no good anymore. Because mine's good. Hey, I'm here. Hallelujah. Let God do the proving. Let God make it happen. Hey, that's his tactics. His tactics isn't to get worked up in the moment. We got to have a victory right now. We got to do this right now. We got to move mountain. We got to do it right now. No, let God have it in his time. I need to move on. Oh, boy. Satan chose the mind to try and influence man, but God chose the heart. Satan uses his tactics to twist thinking, try and get you to reason with the word like you did to Eve. And we spent a lot of time on that last Sunday night, but I want to spend time on the tactics of God this morning. If we give me a few more minutes, I'd like to spend some time on that. For 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7 says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. That right there is the tactics of God. We walk by faith and not by sight. If you walk by sight, there's a lot of things you're going to look at that's going to scare you. That's going to put thoughts in your mind and thoughts in your head that you're going to be worried about, concerned about, and overly compensating for because you're concerned about what's coming when those who walk by faith look at the Word of God and say, oh, but I see myself over here seated in the throne of God. Hmm. Oh, I see a great tribulation, but oh, it says before that, oh, it says I'd be hidden away three and a half years. Oh, and the desolation of Babylon and how terrible it would be and how things would come in so bad. But then I turn around and I read about Revelations 19 and how there'd be a people, a great multitude, and they say, the wife hath made herself ready. Oh, that's me. Oh, why? Because I'm not walking by sight. I'm walking by faith. There's something else that I'm looking at. As I begin to read in the Word of God and I begin to look at, he talks about an eagle and a chicken and I say, oh, I'm an eagle. I'm not walking by sight because I might have been down in the chicken yard. If I was down in the chicken yard pecking and walking by sight, I'd be saying, I'm a chicken, I'm a chicken, I'm a chicken, I'm a chicken, I'm a chicken. But something come around to that eagle that began to strike up faith. And even though he was doing the acts of the chicken, he began to realize, but I'm an eagle, I'm an eagle, I'm an eagle. But dude, you're still pecking on the ground like the chickens. But I'm an eagle, but I'm an eagle. I don't understand why. Oh, but that sounds good. The chickens are going, no, that sounds scary. That's an eagle scream. Eagles eat chickens, bro. You're scared of that. Get inside. But he says, no, but I'm an eagle, but I know, but I know, and I, I'm just, I, I know this, and well, that, that scream talks to me. You're hearing voices? Oh, this guy's gone crazy. He says God talks to him. Yeah, yeah, something's talking to me. Yeah, I feel the pull. Oh, boy, this guy really... He's feeling some. Yeah, I feel like I'm not of this world. I'm of a different kingdom. Oh, <laughs> hey, guy, that guy is losing that. 
He says, there's another kingdom coming. He says he's received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. He says he's going up higher. He says there's a rapture. He says it's not way off yonder. He says he's going to take a flight. He says he's going to fly. Look at me. I can't fly. Therefore, he can't fly. Of course not. You're chicken, man. Chickens don't fly. But they begin to look at him. Something's wrong with him. To pretty soon, they get a little too scared, and they begin to gather around and try and peck his feathers off. That's what chickens do. They start to eat one another. Hang on a chicken yard long enough, you begin to ask questions. Why has that one got a bald spot on his back? Because he's lower in the pecking order. Oh, okay. And they just peck his feathers off, and they try to gather around the eagle. They say, well, I'm going I'm to change his mind. I'm going to peck his feathers off. And they get a hold of one, and they, ah, that hurts my beak. Because those feathers aren't chicken feathers. They're in their tights. They're real. They're stuck in there, and they gather around, and they begin to pull at this one and pull at that one, and they, they're pulling, and they're pulling, and they can't get nothing out of it. And they're trying, and they're trying, but he's positive. He knows whom he has believed, and he begins to realize, you know what? I'm tired of this pecker. I'm going to get myself up on the fence post. And he gets up there on the fence post, and the chickens, come on down here. Who do you think you are? You think you're holier than thou? You think you're better than me? Come on, I'm a chicken. I'm somebody too. Dathan and Korah thought so too. You think you're better than me, Moses? I'm holy too. So yeah, but the earth can't eat me up up here on this fence post. Can you? Then all the eagles come up on the fence post for a bit. Get a better view. Things begin to make sense a little bit more. Begin to realize. You begin to shake your eagle feathers out a little bit. You're going to spread those wings out. So pretty soon the chick is going to look at their wings, their little wing, and look at your big wing. Maybe he is different. I'm kind of getting scared of him. Hey, that scream I heard earlier, now I'm kind of getting scared of him. And then all of a sudden they hear you, and that guy's real. And they run back off in the house. Why? Because they're chickens. That's what they read when they read the word of God. Pretty soon they get out there on Google and they, Brother Branham, he's a false prophet. Brother Branham, he's got this problem. And he had this problem. He had this problem. And he had this one over here. And this church got that. And that church got that. And this brother that. And this brother that. And this brother that. Why? Because they're chickens. They're over in the hen house. But the eagles, they don't go in the hen house to try and convince them. The eagles don't go back in the hen house. I'm way off my nose. This is for you this morning. The eagles don't go back in the hen house and say, listen, guys, all right? That mother eagle up there, he's not a bad guy, all right? Listen, he, he means well, okay? And he's trying to, no, 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 no. The eagle says, just leave him alone. That ain't my home. I've tried to sit on a roost and lay an egg a long time. And ain't no one come. So I ain't one of them. I belong out here. I belong out here on this fence post. And until something calls me up higher, I'm going to stay up here. And if any of them come back out here and want to talk to me, I'll eat them alive. If they want to come out here on my grounds, I'll tell them straight because it's the word of God. I'll correct them with the word, but I ain't going on their grounds. I ain't interested in having a fight on some comments on Google or something else. You're like, God bless you if that's what you feel to do. But listen, an eagle isn't interested in going back in the hen house. An eagle's interested in taking flight. 
The ego wants to say, okay, finally mama ego comes by, and now jump. Jump. Well, that's a new one. I got up here. And now jump. And the other eagle on the fence post over across from him says, yeah. What do you think, brother? I think I'm going to give it a try. I think I'm going to live by faith. But, dude, there ain't nothing between here and there. I don't see a thing between here and there. How am I going to get from here to there? By faith. I'm just going to believe. And he just starts and jumps. Pretty soon he gets to see, looks down, I'm getting higher. Oh, if I do this, I get higher. If I do, if I do this, I get lower. Okay, if I do this, I get higher. A Christian does that. When they first get off, their, off the ground with God, they first start soaring with God, they, they start to learn. Young people, you're going to learn that. You start to do these things. Oh, I'm getting lower. Maybe I shouldn't be feeding on those things anymore. Let's, let's turn and feed on the right thing. Oh, now I'm getting higher. I'm getting higher. Praise be to God. Well, let's try this other thing over here. Oh, I'm getting lower now. I'm getting lower now. I'm going to try this other thing. Oh, now I'm soaring on the word. I'm back in church again. I'm back feeding on the word again. I got my prayer life back. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And pretty soon a storm comes by called job troubles. And it just comes and you start, you're like, man, what's going on? I got to get above this storm. Lord, help me. Help me. Help me. If you ain't careful, pretty soon you'll find yourself grounded again. But don't worry, get back up on the fence post. I know the, the chickens will be there. Told you so, told you so, told you so, told you so, told you so. Told you you couldn't fly. Told you you was an eagle. Told you you was just a chicken. Told you you belonged down here. Why don't you just come back on in the hen house? Why don't you come back on and try and lay, lay an egg? He goes, no, it was good up there. I liked it up there last time. I'm going back in the heavenlies again. I don't know why I got down here, but you know what? He forgiveth all of my iniquities. He knows I should have known better, but he pardoned me last time. He's going to pardon me again this time. I don't understand why I'm down here, but you want to come for a ride with me? Because you know what I found out? My talons are pretty good too. I can pick you up, chicken. And I'll take you in the heavenlies, see how you like it for a while. Oh, Hallelujah. It says this, Romans chapter 8, verse 9. It says, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. That's pretty straight. I don't know about you, but that's about as straight as I preach. It's about as straight as any brother preach. Hey, listen, if you don't got the spirit of God, you ain't his. Get the spirit of God. Why do we preach? Get born again. Because you got to get born again to be his. you got to be hidden in Christ Jesus. How are you in Christ Jesus? By one spirit. We're all baptized into one body. It's back to the ABC. It says, and if Christ be in you, the body be, is dead because of sin, and the spirit is life because of righteousness. How is the body dead because of sin? Because if you're in Christ, the Christ is in you. Sin is dead. Therefore, because the body is mortal and sin by nature, it is dead. He says, but, but the life, the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal body by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Oh my, that he says, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever because in there this becomes alive and the members that were once members of unrighteousness become members of righteousness. 
The members that were once members are pecking on the ground and eating the corner, trying to eat this and trying to pick up that root, trying to pick up that. Now because members of righteousness are saying, I need meat. I need something fresh. I need fresh manna every day. I'm not happy with the old manna yesterday. I'm not happy with the wiggle tails and the worms and the termites that I was happy with yesterday. I'm not happy with that anymore. I need something fresh. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. Let me say it this way. You don't owe your flesh anything. When you come home from a hard day's work, and it says, you know what? You owe me just to sit down and feed on a whatever. Just get on the internet and just browse. You deserve that. You don't owe your flesh nothing. Say, but oh, Brother Andrew, I deserve. No. You, owe, you deserve to get on your knees. You deserve to put your arm around your wife and talk with her. You deserve, oh my, you deserve to get your children around you, begin to teach them the word of God. You deserve to have a time of devotion. You deserve to have a time of family time around the supper table and begin to talk about the Lord. That's what you deserve. You don't owe your flesh nothing. He says, but if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So the tactics of God are not after the fleshly members. It isn't limited to just influential thinking. He isn't solely interested in swaying your thinking according to his word. Listen to that. He's not interested in just swaying your thoughts. Well, I think this way because the Bible says, Brother Branham says, so I was raised under it, so I need to think this way. And then it just becomes a media campaign. Because it just becomes my mind over matter and my thoughts, my thoughts, my thoughts. He's not interested in that. God's tactics aren't like that. God's tactics is to get into the hearts of men. That you would believe him regardless of the circumstance. Regardless of even the media campaign against you, you do not believe that God, you, you, you believe, do you believe that God is more than able to deliver me? Listen, Daniel had to go against the media campaign. That was decades old. Proven and tried to be real news, not fake news. That when you get thrown in the lion's den, lions eat you. That was the media campaign. Hey, listen, we got a law. If you don't pray to, any, if you pray to anything other than Darius, you're going to be thrown in the lion's den. And let me tell you what happens in the lion's den. You die. All right? That's proven. All right? We've thrown other people in the lion's den. Guess what? They were eaten. We've thrown other people in the lion's den. Guess what? They were eaten. We threw strong people. We threw a woman. We threw a child. Guess what? They were all eaten. So guess what the media campaign is? You go in there, you die. And if you don't worship Darius, you go in there. And you die. It's a simple media campaign. It was everything they had to put out over and over and over and over and over, trying to influence the thoughts and the minds of the people to try and get them to think in a certain way, try and get them to accept the laws that, that have been put in place, and try and get them to accept that you don't have any other choice. But if you are God in the heart, He overrides the mind. 
he overrides all those things. Because God isn't limited to that, that, uh, that he chose to believe God instead. Daniel chose that God's tactic did not start, was not to start a lobby group to try and start and say, listen, there's a chance you don't die. If we train you to be a lion tamer, you could overcome. No, that wasn't God's tactics. He didn't start a lobby group to try and say, listen, we need to change the law of the Medes and Persians. He didn't get Daniel out there to say, oh, this is a bad law. You know what? We better get everyone together. We better change this around because he's against the Jews and he's against us. We need to turn this around. We need to all become politicians. We need to all get involved in this and that and this and that and this and that. No, he didn't try and do that at all. He just had the tactics of God that said, that's great. Throw it up his window. Prayed three times a day. But the media campaign said, don't do that. But God said, do it. Didn't try and prove Daniel's innocence somehow. Daniel didn't try and get up there in court and try and say, listen, guys. I mean, really, when I was praying, I mean, I, you know, I, this is kind of interpretive here. He didn't try and do that. He just took God's word. If I die, I die. But I believe I was following the will of God. There's no greater confidence than walking in the will of God. And Daniel chose to believe on him, and what happened, God came down in the lion's den and closed the mouths of the lion. He closed their mouths, and he just began, they, they didn't have nothing. They said, man, we made them extra hungry. We tried everything we could try, and nothing. We poked and prodded them with my spears. We did everything we could to try and get them going. I sent a funny clip to the young people and, uh, about the lion's den and how they... You know, the, 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 the guard the day after, they said, what was your game plan? When did you know the game plan had gone wrong when they threw Daniel in? He said, well, usually you hear a lot of screaming and crying, but we heard nothing. What did you do to fix the game, fix, fix, fix what you did? Well, we tried everything. We put our spears in there, we poked the lines, did nothing. <laughs> did you do anything else? What else could we do? I'm not going in there. But somehow it didn't work. Somehow the lions didn't eat Daniel. I don't understand how it worked, but it worked. And let me tell you, it had such, a, such an impact that the king said, okay, all you accusers. Look how the timing works that when God had allowed Daniel's testimony to speak for itself, that all those accusers that accused Daniel, he said, you guys come here. Let me see if your testimony works. It worked for him. Does it work for you? Come on in. You guys are so great. You could try it out. And they went in there. So oh, that's what it usually sounds like. A lot of growling, screaming, crying, bone crunch, all these things going on. That's what it's supposed to sound like. Let's go to Second Chronicles. I'll, I'll try and... I don't even want to say close, but I'll try and close. Are you still with me? All right, we'll close on this scripture. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 3 says this. Then Jehoshaphat feared there'd come a great army was coming against him and said, and set himself to seek the Lord. 
and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Here we see the tactics of God begin to unfold. How does God move? What happened when the armies came against Jehoshaphat? I'm not reading it for the sake of time. But they gathered themselves together, and there come news. There was this great host that come against Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. And we know what happened when Ahab, when, when Ahab had a great host come against him, he called for Jehoshaphat. He used the best of his tactics. He made allies. He got them all together. He put everything as one, and he got a combined army, and we're going to go out and meet the enemy. We're going to go force against force, and I think we got a chance to win because we got good generalship, good men, mighty men of valor. I think we got this. That was Ahab's approach. But here comes Jehoshaphat's approach. When he comes and he says, he gathered the people, gathered, and Judah gathered themselves together, and he called a fast. He says, and they, to ask the help of Ahab. No, it says, to ask the help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to what? Seek the Lord. What an awesome tactic. He didn't look at it to say, well, let's all practice now. Let's get our swords out. We better sharpen up our swords here. You know what we're going to do? We're going to start having sword drills more often. We're going to sharpen our swords. How quick can you tell me where to find serpent seed in the word? Go. How quick can you tell me where to find? No. That wasn't the point. He says, let's seek him. Let's get together. Let's seek him. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation in verse 5 of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before a new court, before the new court, and said, O Lord of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven, and rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? Oh, look at this approach. He began to recognize, regardless of the circumstances, what they're doing, and that they are Satan's kingdoms, there's one that's higher. That Satan can't do nothing unless God lets him do it. So he says, aren't thou the ruler over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee? And he says in verse, the next verse, brother, verse 7. And he says, art, thou, art not thou our God who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel and gave us it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend, forever? Oh my, he just began to remind God of his own word. The Lord, you promised this to Abraham, and we're Abraham's seed. And you know what Abraham was to you? He wasn't just another person. He was your friend. You, Teddy, was your friend. You came down and walked with him. You came down and had, had supper with him. And he made you the best calf, and he made you all of this food, and you did eat, and you did drink with him, and you spoke with him, and you hid nothing from him, Lord. So I'm approaching you as saying, I'm part of Abraham. Oh my, what an approach to God. If you jump down to verse 15 with me, he says, and he said, hearken ye all Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and thou King Jehoshaphat. This is the prophet begins to prophesy in the midst of the people as they waited on the Lord and the Lord now begins to respond back. He says, thus saith the Lord unto you, be not afraid. Oh, hallelujah. Here's the tactics of God. How's God going to deliver us? He says, be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Oh, my. Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz. And ye shall, ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. Oh, I love it. God... What better king to have than one that knows the past, present, and future? <laughs> he didn't look at him and say, well, you should position yourself here because there's a good chance. No, he says, you'll find them. They're going to come this way. They'll be right there. 
This is exactly what the enemy is going to do. Oh, if we just seek God in all things, we begin to find out he knows everything. He's eternal. He knows what's going to happen in the future. He knows what's happening in your job. He knows what's happening in your life. He knows what's happening in your family. He's able to come and speak to you on such a basis and say, just go here and do this. But why? But let the heart supersede. Let it supersede your best reasonings and begin to recognize the Lord's in control. The battle's not mine. He says, you shall not need to fight in this battle. Huh? Is it, is it, is it a battle or is it not a battle? It's God's battle. He says, it's a battle, but you're going to need to fight. Hallelujah. Oh, it's going to be a battle, but you don't need to fight. So set yourself, stand ye still, see the salvation of the Lord with you. Oh, Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Oh, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Why? Because it lets me know he is with me. It lets me know he's walking by my side. That the battle's not mine. He's going to take care of it. When I see that wolf and I'm just a sheep, I don't freeze up and go, what am I going to do? No, I'm with him. I'm with the shepherd. He's taking care of me. I'm not going to fight you. He is. Hallelujah. The sheep wasn't worried about it. When, as long as David was there, there come a lion and he slew him. There come a bear and he slew him. Why? The sheep wasn't all scared. Going, oh, no. What are we going to do? No, David was there. Oh, hallelujah. If you jump down to verse 21, it says, and when he had consulted with the people, hallelujah, they had themselves a convention. They'd heard the word of the Lord, and they had themselves a convention. Praise be to God. What should we do? We heard the word of the Lord. How should we go down? He says, I got it. He appointed singers unto the Lord. So that should praise the beauty of holiness. As they went out before the army to say, praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. Hallelujah. When they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, and they were, which they come against Judah, and they were smitten. Oh, praise be to God. And the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the, the inhabitants of Mount Seir utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the habitation of Seir, every one helped. Oh, the devil's such a good helper. The devil helped each other slay each other. They helped to destroy another. And when Judah come toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked unto the multitude, and behold, they were dead bodies, fallen onto the earth, and none escaped. Praise be to God. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to the, take the spoil of them, think about it. When Jehoshaphat sent them out, to, to, he sent the singers before them and he sent them praising. They didn't go forth praising the God of war. They didn't go out singing, oh, he's my sword. He's my buckler. He's my, you know, praise the God of holiness. Lord, you are my everything. You are my all. You gave yourself for me. You caused me to walk in the paths of your righteousness. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivered them out of them all. And they begin to sing, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Oh, come exalt his name forever. It didn't sound much like a war song. Why aren't they getting singing, We are the best. 
we're the strongest army. We got the best man of valor. No, they didn't care about that. They just begin to sing, oh, Lord, my peace. Peace that passes all understanding. Leading on the everlasting arm. What a fellowship. What a joy divine. What a comfort. What a peace. Leading on the everlasting arm. Oh, praise be to God. How did they defeat the great army, Jehoshaphat? You could come if he could stand here tonight. You could ask me, how did you defeat it? Joshua was saying, I didn't. God did. I just worshipped. He said, well, of course. You did after the battle. No. I didn't just worship after the battle. I worshipped on my way to the battle. How can you sing and be peaceful in a dark, dark day like today? Why we ought to be singing in the New Jerusalem? Why we got to start singing now? We got to start worshiping now because the battle's already won. This is the beauty of knowing the end of the story that you know I'm already victorious, just like it was for them when they would come and God didn't tell them the beginning and say, just go this way and, 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 and you'll have a battle. No, He told them the end of the story. He said, I'm going to fight for you and you won't even have to fight. They went, oh, it's all taken care of then. Praise the Lord. We ought to have that attitude. We got all kinds of things coming against us. We got all kinds of devils camped around us. We got the enemies all around me. The Lord prepares me a table in the presence of mine enemies. Why aren't you worried? They're coming against you. Well, though a thousand fall on my left, ten thousand on my right. It will not come nigh me. Why should I worry? Why should I fear? For the very same Jesus is walking so near. Oh my, the same one that drew them out of Israel, out of Egypt, the same one that made them cross the Red Sea, the same one that delivered the bear, the lion, the giant, the same one. That when Saul tried to kill David, God intervened again and again and again and again and again. The same one that was there when Jesus, they gathered around Jesus and said, we're going to stone him this time. He just walked right through the midst of them. My time has not yet come. Why should I worry? Oh my, what a God. Why would Saul and Paul get stoned somewhere? Get up and say, I got to go back there again. You got a what? They're going to kill you down there in Jerusalem. But I got to go. Why? Well, because God's paid my ticket to Rome. I didn't ask him how. He just wanted me to go preach in Rome. And I can't afford to get there, so he's going to get me there. So he told me to go down to Jerusalem. I don't understand what's next. I'm just going down to Jerusalem. I understand what's going to happen. I don't know if they're going to tie me up and kill me there. I got no idea, but God told me to go to Rome, so I know I'm going to get to Rome. If they're going to kill me, then they're going to take my dead corpse there and I'll raise again and preach because God said to Rome. Amen. So no matter how it's going to happen, it's going to happen. All I got is this stick in my hand. I'll go with the stick in my hand. He said, I only got one coat. When he finally got to Rome, he went, oh man, I left my coat. Can you tell so-and-so to bring my coat next time he comes? What a God. He prepared a table in the presence of his enemies. That Paul, right in the midst of his greatest enemies, that one day would take his head off, would sit down and pen most of the New Testament. 
And he'd begin to write truths in there that for thousands of years would perfect people. Bring them into the stature of Jesus Christ and bring them into his image and conform them. And he began to write these things to him and they, he began to help them living in their spirit life. And how he began to write these things. Where was he writing? In the presence of his enemies. Hallelujah. And he began to write things like, you know what happened to me in Iconium, in Antioch where he was stoned. You know what happened to me in Lystra where he was put in prison. He said, but I have, I, those things don't mean nothing to me. I still serve the Lord. I give him everything. Give him your whole life. He's worth it no matter what comes, no matter what happens. I might lose my job if I make a stand. Make a stand. You don't know what might happen to my family, Brother Andrew. Make a stand. Let your testimony stand, sure. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How can you sing and be peaceful in such a dark day? Your son and daughter may be sick. Maybe you got trouble in your body. Your mental health maybe is, just isn't right and you're struggling in your mind this, this morning. How can you possibly overcome in such a day like Laodicea? I just worship. As well, of course, once you enter into the joys of the Lord, no, before the battle started, I worship. How do you get your healing this morning? Simply worship. How do you come and become of a sound mind this morning? Simply worship. How do you overcome financial difficulty? It's a hard one. Simply worship. How do you do these things? My, if you sought the Lord, you've put it before God. That's what Jehoshaphat did. He called a fast. He put it before God. Sorry, I know I said I'd close after that scripture. Would you give me one more? Some of you said amen, some of you said no. So I'll just take a half of one. All right. 1 Corinthians 7. It says, Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me. This is good for Father's Day, so we'll leave it here on Father's Day. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. And let the husband render unto his wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power over her own body. Now, I'm going to tell you something real straight right now. This doesn't work today. In today's world. But it does work in a Christian. Because it's the word of God and it's eternal. Today's day, I mean, this is politically wrong. You're telling me that my husband has white over my body. And likewise also the husband hath not power over his own body but the wife. Wait a second. I learned in school that that's where the devil comes in. He chose the intellect. He chose the media campaign of today to say, listen, you got to think this way. Sisters, you got to write over your own body. You are your own person. You can do your own thing. And brothers, you're your own man. You can have your own friends. You can do your own thing. But God came down and laid out a relationship between a husband and wife. 
I said, wives, you don't have a right over your own body. Your husband does. And husbands, likewise. You don't got a right over your own body. Your wife does. See, how in the world does that apply, Brother Andrew? It's quite simple. When a husband comes home from work and the wife comes and says, you know, she's got a lot of faith. She likes to come and say, tree, be thou plucked up from where you are and put over there. Because she knows she ain't going to do it. But her husband with a shovel will. And he comes home from work and he's tired out. And he wants to sit down on the couch. Honey, I just was thinking in the backyard. I'd really like that tree over there. It would just make more sense. And I think that'd be nice. And he's like, women. Don't you know I'm tired? I'm worn out. I can't do those things. I just worked all day. Did you work all day? What did you do today? No, he has not right over his own body. All right, honey. I got you. I'll do it. Goes against the shovel. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for such a great help, mate. I love her every day all the way. He begins to dig. Why? Because he doesn't have a ride over his own body. She begins to look and he says, honey, you know, I'd really, I'd really appreciate if you'd make supper. I took care of the kids. They were so cranky today, don't you understand? And you just go to work and you come home today and I got to always make supper. Why don't you make supper sometimes? She don't got a ride over her own body. Yes, honey. I can do those things. That's a real relationship. And it goes deeper than that. We're in a mixed audience. I won't go any deeper than that. But you could think. It says this. It says, and defraud ye not one another, one the other. Which is a better word for that because that sounds terrible. Why in the world would I defraud my wife? But it says, really the, the right interpretation, that is don't deprive the other of. By separation or cessation. Don't deprive your husband, sisters. Don't deprive your wife, brothers. He says this, except it be with consent for a time. There is time for that. By separation. When he says, honey, I feel led to go out on the mission field. I can't be with you. I, I can't be there all the time. I need to go out and do this. Honey, I feel like I need to go and I, I got a friend that needs my help. I need to go for coffee with him. Would that be all right? You talk about these things. You know, you remember Brother... brother um, Paul Dirksen would come and he'd speak about marriages and things and he'd draw that. We all love that, just that triangle, right? You got God at the top and there's a relationship between God and the wife. There's a relationship between God and the husband and there's a relationship between the two because these two shall be one flesh. Amen. And that's the way it ought to be. Oftentimes we want to put an octagon in there. Well, there's God, there's me, my buddy, my other buddy, my other buddy, her buddy, her other buddy, and then my wife. And we all got our friends. We all got, as long as we got our friends, listen, there is no BFF. Shocking news, isn't it? You ever had a friend turn their back on you? Yeah, it happens. But you got a husband, you got a wife. And more than that, you got God. It ought to be that triangle. Friends will come, friends will go. But don't deprive one another. And likewise, don't deprive God of that relationship. See, this is really different. No, this is the tactics of God. 
The tactics of the enemy is, listen, sisters, you can have your own job, career, life, friends, all these other things, and the husband's over here on this side. He's got his job, life, career, friends, and the kids, well, they just kind of bounce around wherever they can. And God, you know, whenever you have time, you got time for God, and that's okay. And that's the tactics of the devil. But God says, no, it's, it's simple. It's just these two shall be one flesh, and it'll be a triune rope. It'll be me in the middle of it all. Says this, it says, except with consent for a time that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again. Oh my. There's a time to come apart and seek God. What's the point of the separation for God? To do something for the Lord, then to come back together again. That Satan tempt you not for your incontinency, which is lack of self-restraint. He loves to tempt us that way. He knows if you can't help but have more food, he'll put more food in front of you. Even though your wife is over here saying, honey, you don't need that. It's, it's true. And husbands, you know, he, he loves, you know, and your husband's there and, 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 and he loves if you got, I need more clothes. I need to spend, I need to spend, I need to spend. I got clothes and shoes and clothes and shoes and clothes and shoes and clothes and shoes. And all of a sudden your husband's looking at it going, honey, we can't afford that. And he'll put more clothes and shoes in front of you than you've ever saw before to go and buy those things. Why? Because he's good at that. Because he knows you have a lack of self-restraint. But it says there comes a time you need to go and fast and pray. What, what is fasting all the time? It's not always about food. Fast from things of the internet. Fast from, from one another. Fast from getting always in fellowship every single night and never having time to get alone with God. That's a fast. You begin to fast from these things in order to get away from things that you enjoy in the flesh and the spirit in order to get right down to the thing that ought to have preeminence over all of it and that's the Holy Spirit right down in your soul that begins to come out to allow it to be the leader and the guide. He says, but I speak this, now listen closely, I speak this by permission and not by commandment, not of commandment. In other words, this is not a commandment, he says, but this is superior knowledge. This is a superior tactic to use in your life to help you overcome. Why can we never overcome the same things? Because we never have any temperance, self-control, self-restraint. We want to just put things aside and say, well, I'll just do what I want. I'll just indulge in what I enjoy. Well, it's just who I am. Is it? Or is it just who the devil really wants you to be and keeps feeding you, feeding you, feeding you, feeding you? I'm just speaking right down home tonight. We're closing. Don't worry. We're really, really closing right now. Because it's so easy to be that way. Because there came a time even for Jehoshaphat as he came to those people and they spoiled them. They spoiled the dead bodies. In other words, they took the goods, they took the jewelry, they took the swords, they took the shields, they took all these things. And then he had to be careful what happened. The fear of the Lord, the fear of Jehoshaphat came upon all the other nations because of what the Lord did for Jehoshaphat. Why? Because he be, remained truthful in those things. And after him was King Asa, and he remained truthful in those things. Why? Because there was something about it. There was a testimony that they remained true to God, regardless of all the spoils that they got. That, why? Because they realized, God gave me this. So I can exercise enough self-restraint to continually seek God, knowing it's God that gave me, and God will continue to give. God gave me my wife. It wasn't because I was so handsome, because I'm not. It wasn't because I was so rich, because I'm not. It wasn't because I had a great charismatic person. She might think I am. 
Not, not because of any of those things, but because God gave her to me. I didn't have my children because I'm so good at bearing children, but because God gave me those children. I don't have my house because I'm so good at saving money, but because God gave me that house. I don't have my job because I'm such a great worker, but God gave me that job. God can take it all away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let me always seek him first in all things. Uh, the musicians come. As they come, musicians, Sarah had a lot to, to say. Sarah one time tried in the Bible, Abraham's wife, she tried the tactics of the enemy. Satan got in her reasoning and began to tell her, well, the promise is good, but it'll come by Hagar. And she didn't seek the Lord in that. She just began to say, you know what? That sounds pretty good. And you know what came from it? Strife, separation. I said this way, it split the church. It did. They got out there because they got listening to the reasoning of the devil. The reasonings of God was different than that. He says, I'm going to do it supernaturally. I'm going to wait till you get so old it's impossible. And then I'll visit you according to the time of life. What life was he talking about? Not just the time of life of bearing a son or a daughter, but the time of life is in the time that I turn you back young again and you're able. I'm going to visit you in that season and there's going to be a time. And God did it exactly that way. We got to be careful. We don't get listening to the tactics of the devil. Get listening to his reasoning. Well, what's the best way? And we get figured out. We get going in this certain direction. Brother, say, Lord, I'd rather just commit it into your hands and I'll worship you. I'll worship you as though you've already done it, as though you've already given it to me. You got, you got needs in your family. You got needs in your body. You got needs in your home and your job and whatever you're, whatever you're struggling with. You got needs overseas with family that's overseas. Some of you came from overseas and you're looking and you're praying for them and you're praying for them. It's time to start worshiping the Lord and say, Lord, I'm going to worship as though you've already done it. I'm going to believe like it's finished. Some of you got young people that sit up here at the front that you're asking God to move on their hearts and give them the Holy Ghost. Start worshiping the Lord and thanking him for God-filled children. But am I lying to myself? No. You're thanking him, saying, Lord, you've shown me the future. You've shown me what will be. You've shown me that you are more than able. You won't lose one. You've already said it. You won't lose one of them. You're going to make sure that all yours come into the sheepfold. You're going to make sure this happens, so I'm going to give you worship. Lord, you will not reject my prayers. You will not turn me away. The Bible says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or begging for bread. Let's stand together and sing that song together. But just have patience. Wait and see what God will do. God will not reject your prayer. Praying makes you strong. For I have never seen the righteous forsaken. Yes, Lord. He's near, his rod and his staff, they comfort me. Oh, have patience, just wait and see what God will do. Oh, when you lift up your hands in surrender, God will pull you through. Simply worship If you are crying worship. 
Worship the 